I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. What is Uber? It's not just a rideshare company and definitely more than a technology company. Increasingly, it's a fintech company too. As a global logistics platform, Uber is required to facilitate electronic payments to their drivers from a worldwide base of customers. But that's not all. Reports surfaced in September that the company is contemplating offering a range of bank-like services for its drivers, and perhaps one day for the wider public. So I wanted to learn more, and today I'm delighted to have on the show Uber's frontline technicians, Heather Childs and Keir Gums. Heather is the CEO of Uber Payments, LLC, which spearheads the infrastructure supporting payments from and to drivers. Kier is the Associate General Counsel of the company and is involved in a wide array of fintech-related activities. Kier, Heather, it's great to have you on the show. Delightful to be here. Uber has emerged from its IPO with obviously lots of questions ahead of it. Where does fintech fit in the picture? I mean, is it viewed as a source of revenue for the company, or is this really uh, aligned with what Uber has always been doing? Just the payment part of Uber's business would be like a large fintech company. And the number of payments that we're processing, the number of parties that are involved in the transactions, both on the consumer side, if you think about us effectively as a marketplace between consumers and drivers and couriers, and restaurants and looking towards the future, the providers of shipping services. It's a really a, a pretty significant infrastructure that's been built up. And that's why I think Heather and I are so excited to be working on FinTech because it's really, in my mind at least, one of the best kept secrets about the company. You know, if you were to pick, you know, what part of the company uh, are people like me and Heather and others most excited about, I have to put payments right up there because it's something that we've built from scratch and it's something that I think has tremendous upside opportunity, both for our consumers and drivers, but also for our, our prospective investors. Heather, where does the payments company itself fit in the, the, the picture? I mean, Kier has sort of uh, laid out this idea of what the platform is doing. So what then is the payments uh, company supposed to be doing to help to enable uh, this particular marketplace? Well, as Kira and you both described, money movement is at the core of our business. We take money from people who want to take rides, who want to order food, and then we take it, we hold it, we take the Uber cut off top, and then we pass it along to all of the partners who work with us. Now, there have been plenty of questions about the gig economy as well and its impact on employment and wealth building. And Uber has for sure taken some of the heat on how it treats its employees. Uh, so I guess I'll start with Not you, Heather. Not employees, I mean, what are Chris. Ah, oh, that is the question. <laughs> that exactly, is the question. Exactly, perfect. Okay. So, <laughs> so, okay, what are your thoughts and your responses on this particular controversy? And then, and then secondly, you know, again, trying to tie this to the question of financial technology and fintech, I mean, where does the issue of fintech fit in this larger conversation on the gig economy? I think it is very important um, that we recognize our partners are our partners and they choose when they want to drive with us. They choose when they want to you know, pick up food and deliver it with us. 
and they have a lot of control over their own lives and their own destiny and use us as sort of a platform for their business and how they choose to run their business and their lives. I mean, if you take large parts of the world, maybe not in the U.S., but say in Latin America, I learned recently that 37% of Mexico, for example, is not banked. And there are two primary reasons for it. Number one, they don't trust banks. And number two, um, they uh, it's really, really expensive, especially when you don't have a lot of money in your bank account at any one time. And so I think that as a platform for these people to drive, to curry food, to make a living, we have an opportunity and an obligation to sort of provide an infrastructure that they may not have in any other way. I think it would be really useful for our audience to maybe provide an overview of exactly what kind of uh, financial services Uber is now offering its drivers, and then what kinds of things are you thinking about doing in the near future? Right now, Uber offers its drivers a bank account through a partnership that we have with Green Dot slash GoBank, um, where Uber drivers can open a an account with that financial institution sort of through us, and then they get um, a series, you know, it's a no-fee account with no minimum balance, and then they also get a series of um, discounts when, when they use their card on things that are required for them to drive. So, for example, they get discounts on gasoline and on um, auto parts and on um, auto maintenance, example, um, through this relationship that we have with Green Dot. Um, in the future, we're looking to make that relationship more technically seamless. We're not a bank. We don't currently have plans to be a bank, but we are using partnerships with banks so that we can provide really great services that are um, cost-effective and um, hold great, great discounts for our drivers. What was the, the, the origin of this, this kind of uh, partnership uh, with, with, with banks? Well, you have to be a bank in order to provide an, an, you know, an account to consumers here in the U.S. And as you know, Chris, very well, um, there's a lot of infrastructure and requirements, quite rightly so, that comes with being a bank and offering an, an account and a deposit account to people who need it. And I think we at Uber recognize the need for our drivers to have those services, to have an account that is you know, essentially free, that provides good discounts, that is a good product for them to use. And so we were very proactive in, um, you know, developing a partnership with a bank that could provide that infrastructure to the drivers, but to do it at a really great cost. There's been uh, a good deal of concern about tech companies moving into financial services. Now, most of this concern has been focused on social media companies, but you know, to what extent are the kinds of concerns generalizable um, to, to technology companies? And, and what exactly can um, a platform-based company like Uber offer people in terms of financial services that uh, traditional banks and financial institutions can't? A lot of the services that people are focusing on, technology companies have been providing for some time. So you think about marketplaces like Amazon or eBay, that for a long time had their own basically in-house financial services technology platforms that they were using to, to facilitate transactions on those platforms. And those have been around for a while. Or you look at, look at things like Apple Pay or Google Pay, which again, have been around for a while. Um, I do think part of what we're, what we're seeing now is just the general tech lash. I mean, it's people concerned around mm-hmm. the level of information that technology companies have about 
the general marketplace and how they're using it and the, you know, the presence or lack of accountability for the decisions that they're making with respect to those technologies. But in my mind, a lot of the swirl isn't because people are doing something new. It's because people may be becoming more focused on what these companies have already been doing. That's extremely interesting because I think I think you're you're putting your your finger on something, which is uh, you know technology companies, whether or not you're a platform or whether or not you're a social media company, that ultimately what folks are doing are, are two things: they're connecting, uh, uh, sometimes in a kind of peer to peer way, uh, sometimes not. Uh, different kinds of uh, buyers and sellers of of services, but they're also leveraging their data and and information. Uh, in order to provide more efficient services, but it's also creating uh, lots of concerns in the general public about the, the use of that uh, information. I mean, when when Uber moves into relationships uh, with banks, and you know they already have a, a lot of information about their 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 drivers, how does this environment inform your own? Decision making. Um, I, I noticed that you guys are also uh, members of Libra. Um, you know, do your what? What lessons do you have? Uh, given the fact that you've been in financial services now for a while, how does this inform your uh, again your activities like Libra? It comes down to one word, honestly, Chris. Uh, Chris, which is trust. Like I think at the end of the day, with all of this, to the extent that you earn trust. You have to continue earning it every single day. And to the, to the moment that you lose that trust of either the consumers or regulators, the public at large, whomever it is, you're, you, it's, it's very, very difficult to regain it. And so for us, I think, and by the way, that's not just limited to financial services. I think that trust applies to every facet of our business, but it's particularly acute around financial services because it's frankly affecting people pocketbooks, it's affecting their income. And so we have to be very, very careful. And so I think our philosophy is to be as responsible and careful and frankly transparent as we can possibly be as we think about financial products. Do you have any opinion or or thoughts on Libra uh, right now? Is this something that the company is still pursuing? I I think I'm going to say no comment on that one in particular. So one of the more interesting things about uh, Uber is that there's been a lot of new blood that's come in. Uh, you guys are both Washingtonians who have found yourselves on the West Coast. What have you observed most about the culture of West Coast fintech, uh, West Coast technology companies? And what do you think West Coast folks misunderstand the most about the East Coast? And what do you think that uh, we Washingtonians sort of tend to overlook or misunderstand about the West Coast? So I moved from Washington, D.C., where I spent the last 10 years, to San Francisco in April. So I'm a new West Coaster. And as you know, Chris, Washington, D.C. has its own bubble. You know, the inside the Beltway talk and chatter and what matters inside the Beltway isn't necessarily what matters to the rest of the country. And I think we see that every single day. The same is true, I think, in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, in Silicon Valley, insofar as, um, you know, things that are important in D.C. aren't necessarily at top of mind here. And um, without commenting on Libra specifically, but just the public, you know, perception of it, I think is probably an example of that. I think one of the things that's misunderstood about the West Coast is the good intentions. And I think that in, you know, in Uber and other tech companies, there really is are good intentions. It goes back to the mission that, that Kira talked about earlier in the podcast 
and how people are very mission focused and they want to be building something that contributes to the world. I think sometimes when you're so focused on your mission, you somehow are blind to how other people may perceive it, but the good intentions are there. And I think that's something I didn't necessarily know until I got here and that the rest of the world, including the Beltway, could benefit from. The only thing I would say is that, uh, you know, the phrase wild, wild west, it it wasn't made up for nothing. Like, I do think that there are elements (laughs) of the way that kind of the West Coast, particularly Silicon Valley, uh, operates. I mean, frankly, the fact that disruption is such a highly held value, particularly over compliance, for example, that it just leads to certain behavior. I would say at Uber, I've been pleasantly surprised in the reverse, which is that you know, most people at want to do the right thing. I mean, if you put out guidance or a rule and you tell people they have to stick to it, people will stick to it. And I, I actually, that has been a kind of Uber specific uh, realization that I've been very pleasantly uh, surprised to see. What does that mean when you interact with like suppliers or, you know, people who who may not even be necessarily at Uber, but I would assume are, are trying to have contracts with you or, or when you're trying to think through what kinds of new financial services to provide. Um, you know, one of the, your comments and your observations have not been lost on, on me and, and we've heard them from time to time, uh, certainly out West. Um, how do you navigate that? I think it's a lot of education. When I was in private practice, yes, I think, you know, a big part of my practice was FinTech. And the thing is, when you talk with fintech, people are like, I'm, I'm, we're creating something new. We're doing this. We're doing that. And you're like, actually, that was created 15 years ago. There's a rule about it. Let me show you what the rule is. <laughs> you know, like, I, I truly think you've That's got a true. lot of young, true. highly motivated people who may not have a lot of industry experience. And so they're coming up with things that feel like, frankly, relabeling of things that have been done before. And, and people don't really realize the regimes that are out there. For example, you know, I don't think people realize how broad the powers of the CFCB are. I don't think people realize that. And so when they're designing, you know, consumer-oriented products, they may not be thinking about the way that those products might be viewed by the CFCB. Just, just to use that as, as one example. Yeah, I mean, do they even know? Do they even know that there is a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau at all? They may, they not. may not. They may not. <laughs> they may not. <laughs> And they mean well, as they say in the South, bless their heart, but like people miss things. And so our job is to really help them, uh, you know, realize what's out there and try to be helpful, right? And I, I think Heather and I right. see this when we're, when we're partnering with our colleagues within the company being pitched to, hey, we want to do this new thing. We want to try, we want to provide this new service. And we're always like, you know, that's great. Let's pause and think about it. You know, what are the anti-money laundering? What are the, you know, et cetera considerations raised by it. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And many times that that thought process, frankly, has not been followed by, you know, by, by the folks outside of the building before they come to us. It's just not intuitive. The good intentions are there. But they, you know what they say about the road to hell in good intentions. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that, I think, will wrap up our conversation. That's, uh, you know, and, and honestly, <laughs> It, it's something that more and more companies are are learning, and I think it's 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 one reason why there needs to be a little bit more conversation and and more people, frankly, shuttling between the east and the west coast. Uh, but Heather and Kier, thank you mu- so much for your time uh, and for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. Traveling has always been said to be good for the soul. It gives you a new perspective 
and gives you a new idea as to what other people may be thinking and feeling about what's happening in their lives. And I think that FinTech is no different. In fact, it's really important, even here in our Washington bubble, to get out. And we've tried to before in the past, talking to leaders from the Bank of England to the European Securities Market Authority. And now we're planning to head out west. And we're looking forward to taking you on the journey with us. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you. Fintech Beat is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.